Lynch. This is Comms Day Live. Welcome to the show. This week, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at the week's news, a big news week, given it was school holidays in, in some of Australia. Um, first up, we're going to talk it through with the executive editor of Comms Day, Rowan Pearce. Welcome, Rowan. Good morning, Graham. Now, um, we've, we've obviously, in the last few episodes of this podcast, covered the story about the proposed Telstra TPG network sharing and spectrum sharing pact in regional Australia. We, we've, we've heard um, a couple of points of view from Optus on this, from uh, their head of regulatory, Andrew Sheridan, and their head of enterprise, Gladys Berejiklian. This week, we heard the response, the reply from TPG. What did they have to say, Rowan? Yeah, so actually, actually, I mean, yesterday was a, a huge day of kind of regulatory news. So you did have, um, in, in addition to obviously like TPG, um, they're, they're kind of, or TPG and Telstra's response to the initial tranche of, tranche of submissions to the ACCC inquiry um, was published. But at the same time, we had the actually, we had the Fetch TV decision and we also had the kind of like initial ACCC decision on the NBN SAU. So big day news. But yeah, like you mentioned, uh, um, TPG and Telstra have actually put in a kind of a document that outlines, you know, their response to critics, including uh, Optus, Compete, all that kind of thing. Um, a lot of interesting things in there. I think one was this kind of argument by um, Telstra and TPG that we explored a bit in the piece um, published this morning, which was actually they're arguing that this could really jump jumpstart network uh, sharing in Australia. So I guess um, we've seen some of the telcos and neutral host players have said that you know this Telstra TPG deal could be a blow to alternative network deployment models. Whereas Telstra and TPD are actually arguing, well, because this involves Australia's biggest telco taking a leap into network sharing, it could actually give some kind of momentum to the area. Um, I guess the other thing that really stood out for me was on the spectrum side of the deal. Obviously, like Telstra is going to get uh, access to a heap of TPG spectrum in the kind of regional coverage zone if the deal goes ahead. So, and that's that spectrum that Telstra wouldn't have actually been able to pick up at auction because of um, competition limits. So, a lot of the kind of like Optus have pointed to this uh, um, compete as well and basically said, well, you know, uh, this is this is Telstra doing a kind of like end run almost around competition limits. So. TPG and Telstra have argued, though, that competition limits are really very much linked to the auction process itself. And they've actually, they noted a kind of previous Productivity Commission report that recommended, recommended against competition limits in the secondary market. Um, and I actually had a look at this this morning, which was, um, uh, it seems to be referenced to a, a 2002 Productivity uh, Commission report. So it is worth noting that it does go back to kind of the, the pre, pre uh, 4G era, really. Um, and there was a lot of kind of like... Um, radical stuff in the Productivity Commission report, which I don't know if people would necessarily agree with now. Um, so, I mean, for example, perpetual spectrum rights, which is pretty wild. Um, um, and also, actually, the, the Productivity Commission report, I found out, it was actually against, against uh, spectrum competition limits in general. Um, so it's a bit of an interesting kind of like Productivity Commission archaeology that I, I spent doing this morning. Um, so, uh, anyway... Um, the other interesting thing we did find out as well was that we're going to be hopefully, I think, getting some kind of indication of the HFC's initial views on the deal. You know, we've heard it could be as soon as a month, which would be quite interesting. Yep, indeed. And for, for those wondering why we haven't had someone from TPG on um, the podcast to talk about this, they declined the opportunity. They want to wait a few weeks, which is fair enough. There's a, a long time to play out in this process and... Guess you don't have to fire all your ammo at once. 
Anyway, moving on, I, I had a little exclusive story for, for Comms Day this week. Um, an uh, interesting one, because it was a something that NBN Co. should have been bragging about, <laughs> but um, they kept it pretty quiet. And that is that they've very quietly completed the upgrade of their hybrid fibre coax network um, to offer 100% availability of gigabit speeds, namely the ultra-fast product, which they offer. That's 2.5 million premises, so not something to be sneezed at. It's a pretty big achievement. Um, what's most interesting about it, and the fact that MBN Co. didn't really tell the wider world, you know, we, we found out about it from a, an operations bulletin they sent to their RSPs, What's interesting about it was that they actually finished this upgrade 18 months early. In their 2022 corporate plan, um, they said that uh, they would uh, roll this uh, ability out or capability out to the full footprint by the end of 2023. So doing it by July 2022 is um, definitely a pretty good achievement. Um, And they did it in pretty quick time. In May 2020, only 7% of the network could support gigabit. Um, That increased... Um, up to about 90% earlier this year, and they finished the 10%, which is presumably the, the hardest bit to do, in, in double-quick time. Um, now, what's what's significant about this is that if you actually look at where the HFC footprint is, it's mainly across the five major metropolitan areas, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, and Perth. Now, what's interesting about this is that it, it's good from a marketing point of view, these are discrete media markets for radio, television, and, and of course, newspapers and so on. Even if you want to advertise on something like Facebook, it tends to set geographic limits in terms of mass marketing, in terms of a, a kilometer radius. So RSPs, for the first time, can now market to those five major metro markets pretty confident that the bulk of the audience for their marketing can just re-up and get a service straight away. So that's, that's, that's pretty good from the point of view of efficiency of your marketing campaign now um the other thing other interesting thing about it was that it was done incredibly cheaply so we're talking 400 million dollars across 2.5 million so that's that's less than 200 dollars you know closer to 150 dollars a premise per premises um now this compares with a two thousand dollar plus cost to provide a fiber upgrade with a lead-in to people wanting to upgrade to gigabit from the FTTN network. So from a, a capital intensity point of view, this has been a terrific investment uh, for, for MBM, particularly since they didn't actually pay for the HFC network in the first place. If you recall in 2013, they were going to pay Telstra and Optus just to close down the HFC networks. And Turnbull, when Malcolm Turnbull, when he became communications minister, renegotiated that agreement to get the right to operate them for not one extra dollar. So it's a pretty good deal um, for MBN. Now, um, of course, um, uh, HFC has often been criticised, and indeed the new Federal Communications Minister has been at the forefront of criticising HFC over the years. Michelle Rowland, she she said in um, 2021, poor Fletcher's dud HFC network is in disarray. This is when there was a chip shortage for modems. And uh, further back in 2019, she said, there is no question the decision by the Liberals to force MBN to rely on ageing HFC infrastructure has been a costly and unnecessary mistake. Well, of course, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we can all change our minds, and I'm sure she has as well, now that um, uh, NBN Co., with not much investment, can offer a gigabit to literally a quarter of its footprint, which is pretty good stuff. Anyway, um, Rowan. Big news, if, if, if you're into the industry association scene, and I know you are, 
Um, pretty big news on that front. Of course, we've got Comms Alliance representing the carriers, and you know, we've got Compete representing the little carriers, and you know, we've got all we've got a space industry association, and we've got a mobile telecommunications association, and there's an IoT association. There's all sorts of associations, and now the construction people want to get in on the game. So tell us all about that. Uh, you're- you're right. I, I definitely love a good association. <laughs> so yeah, so th- th- this is quite interesting. It's very much at the kind of like you know the early early thinking idea stage. Um, the guy behind it is the CEO of uh, QC Comms, Peter Wesley, and he basically told me that you know um, QC Comms uh, has been facing a range of challenges. But there are also kind of challenges across the industry or the sector as a whole. So it's like aging workforce. There's like, you know, a, a lack of a pipeline of newly trained workers coming in. There's shrinking margins, all that kind of thing. So um, he, he's basically floated this idea of like maybe, maybe we can have an association that can give us some kind of collective way of uh, tackling some of these. The actual initial impetus um, was the issue of apprentices where, you know, QC wanted apprentices they needed to get somewhere to train them, and the minimum class size was 16. So Peter was like, well, we didn't need 16 apprentices. Uh, maybe we could talk to you know some of the other people in the sector. If they need apprentices, we can do class of apprentices together. Um, and so that kind of like, that, that's led to this idea of a, a telco construction industry association that could, um, could deal with it. So he said also it could be kind of like a... a, a um, a single point of contact for carriers so that the construction sector could get a better sense of their needs in terms of skills and so on. For example, like I know um, there is one of the um, one of the big um, mobile network operators that has a particular issue with um, a shortage of splicer skills at the moment that are trained up for their kind of particular network. So that's the kind of thing that they could potentially um, be able to tackle through this association. So it's very much at the idea stage. Um, there is like a series of meetings coming up in Sydney, potentially one in Melbourne as well. Um, at the moment, they're working with the, um, well, Peter's working with the, uh, the with NECAT, which is the Electrical Contractors Association. So potentially it could be like, um, you know, a, a almost a sub-branch of that, or it could be independent depending on the kind of interest from the industry. But it's definitely one to watch. And it kind of like, it's, it's one of those things where, it, to me anyway, it makes like intuitive sense. There's those common challenges across these players. Terrific, Rowan. Thanks very much for joining us today. Cheers. Well, moving on, uh, we've got Simon Ducks, the Chief Editor of Comms Day, in the studio with us. Welcome, Simon. Hello there, Graham. Now, you had a chat this week with the boss of Circles Life. And just just to fill our, our listeners in on who they are, they're a very successful carrier from Singapore who've uh, adopted the MVNO model in Australia un- under the, um, the tutelage of a fellow called Nick Demos, who is probably better known as a former head of My Republic in Australia, of course, than MVNO themselves. So, um, tell us uh, what's the story, what's going on at Circles Life at the moment, Simon? Exactly, uh, Graham. It was an interesting chat uh, because uh, Nick was basically taking out the uh, cudgel and uh, getting ready to whack uh, Telstra over the head about uh, their current pricing and uh, particularly the most recent price rises. So uh, in response to this, uh, Circles Life has launched what they call a big freeze price lock promotion. 
and I uh, had a bit of a chat to Nick about how he sees the market shaping up and he was he was pointing out uh, the fact that um, if you look at all of the price rises that have happened in the last couple of years and as we know uh, you know the mobile operators are talking about getting a little bit more price stability in the marketplace but he essentially is saying if anybody's paying greater than $40 for a mobile plan uh, as far as he's concerned, they're getting ripped off now. And uh, he's c the prices that they're doing and they're locking in for 18 months are available for new and existing um, customers. And it's interesting because he pointed out that Telstra's cheapest plan for postpaid SIM only is $58 for 40 gigabytes a month. And uh, Circles Life, for example, is offering $30 a month for 100 gigabytes uh, in response to that. And he's suggesting that uh, when you look at some of the increases to the prices, that the mobile operators are getting away by throwing lots more capacity uh, to their various uh, user base. But the thing about that is now, uh, you know, the top rate Telstra plan at the moment uh, gives a whopping 300 gigabytes a month, but the average user is uh, using 10 to 20 gigabytes a month. So quite an interesting uh uh, position uh, actually and what w came out of the conversation was the fact that MVNOs have a little bit more wiggle room with these price increases because of course Optus put up their own retail prices but that doesn't impact somebody like Circles Life which is an MVNO on the Optus network because they have separate wholesale agreements so it's going to be quite an interesting view of what's going to happen in the MVNO market uh, because uh, we, we knew that the MVNOs were under pressure from the low-cost um, operations uh, of uh, Belong, uh, Gomo and uh, Felix as well, which are the big three. But um, if you actually look at what's happening across uh, the MVNO market at the moment. Boost Mobile's doubled its market share in the last uh, four years. It's now offering 5G um, uh, sitting on the Telstra network. Amasim uh, has 1.2 million and they've recently installed an anti-churn platform which uh, they're suggesting is saving 28,000 uh, customers or $7 million a year. And uh, what it's actually showing is that um, we might see uh, a bit of a resurgence uh, in the MVNOs, depending a lot of what actual comes out of the ACCC's uh, Mockin debates with Telstra TPG. Okay, interesting stuff. Now, I had a, a story this week. It's not often we, we lead comms day with an um, international technology story, but we did just that earlier in the week. Um, from something that may well sound a little underwhelming at first glance, but I think will have a lot of significance in the 5G space. Basically, it was Ericsson, um, Thales, I think I'm pronouncing that right, and Qualcomm Technologies um, announced plans to validate global 5G-capable satellite technology. Now, okay, that doesn't sound that much. They're just going to validate it. Okay, big whoop. But, uh, and of course, there are already operators such as OneWeb and Inmarsat who are talking about doing 5G capability from space. But the reason I think this is interesting, and, and I, I sort of did check on this, was that Ericsson and Qualcomm have not really talked to any level about doing things via Leosat. And of course, they are in their DNA inherently cellular companies. And here they are making this big announcement about embracing space. So I think it's one thing for a satellite company to say, hey, we're going to 
we're going to grift a terrestrial technology and make it work from a space. So when you actually have the people who in, who make that technology saying, yeah, we're embracing space, I think there's a, a bit of a difference there. So what they're going to do, smartphone use case focused testing and validation of 5G non-terrestrial networks, as they call it. Interestingly, they said that they've already individually conducted detailed research, multiple studies and simulations on this. So the goal of the testing will be to validate various technology components needed to enable satellite-based 5G, specifically a 5G smartphone that just links automatically to a satellite, you know, a, a, a standard iPhone or Android phone, um, presumably with similar form factors as to what you have right now. Um, a lot of their tests, initial tests are going to take place in what they described as an emulated space environment in France. The mind boggles at what that might be. Um, which, of course, is where the majority of the uh, European space-focused industry is based. Um, Ericsson is going to verify a virtual RAN stack, which will be modified to handle radio signals propagating fire what are fast-moving satellites through both the atmosphere and space. And Qualcomm is going to provide test phones, verifying that these t- this technology can be basically used by a standard smartphone in the future. Now, Ericsson's CTO, Erica Cudden, described this as a major milestone in the history of communications, as the ultimate result could effectively mean that no matter where you are on Earth, high-end, secure, and cost-effective connectivity will be available through collaborative 5G satellite and terrestrial connectivity. Um, worth pointing out that the, the underlying, what they call the, the NTN standard here, was actually ratified as a 3G PP standard back in March this year. And at the time, they predicted that this might all become commercial by about 2024. So interesting stuff. Of course, in the Australian context, what it means is that these intractable debates about who's going to provide the universal service obligation and why we shouldn't let TPG do deals with Telstra because it's anti-competitive and abortion and all that sort of stuff. All these arguments become moot because your mobile phone will potentially work everywhere you go. And all these arguments about spectrum limits and everything will just disappear out the window. And that's probably a good thing. Okay, Simon, you want to talk about this? Yeah, just one other thing to add with that, uh, Graham, is that it's reshaping the whole satellite ecosystem. Uh, You've already got the little players like Omnispace and Link that are going to offer 5G-like services in Australia. But uh, we've recently also seen Hughes and Viasat do very big things with 5G with the Department of Defense in the U.S., And what's going to happen is that all of these satellite vendors are going to actually adopt a lot of the 5G ecosystem. And that's going to make satellite very much more mainstream as part of the overall communications. Okay. Terrific stuff. Now, while we're on the topic of 5G, you had an interesting story this week about a big breakthrough from Optus in that area. That's right, Graham. And uh, this is a thing called uh, 4CC, uh, which is not uh, anything to do with 10CC for the older listeners. But uh, what we're talking about here is a carrier aggregation technology. Uh, Nokia's been working with Nokia and MediaTek, and essentially they've managed uh, using carrier aggregation which uh, aggregates several carriers within or across available frequency bands, and these things are called uh, component carriers, and they've combined four of these together to achieve higher data rates. So in the particular test that they were doing, Optus uh, merged uh, their 3.5 gig, 2.3 gig, 2.1 gig, and 700 megahertz, 
and uh, were able to use MediaTek's modem and uh, uh, test this for CC. Now, uh, Nokia's only just recently made this uh, commercial, uh, commercially available. Uh, if you recall, um, uh, Optus has already committed to uh, 3CC, which they've done on three different spectrum bands and tested successfully with a Samsung handset. And um, technically, you can actually go all the way up to 5cc, so we can see a little bit more happening there. But the beauty is it actually improves the downlink and uplink uh, speeds uh, for Optus customers. But with this particular test, it also showed that the feature will extend 5G mid-band downlink coverage by using these FDD low bands for uplink. And uh, so obviously you can also help in terms of you, uh, your rollout there if you're actually increasing the coverage size as well. So uh, it, it's uh, good uh, information for um, uh, Nokia uh, speaking to uh, the CTO, Rob Joyce, and he was mentioning the fact that uh, also this week, uh, they set a new 5G world record on a 2 gigabit per second in the uplink uh, using similar technology. So uh, there's a lot of development there. And this is going to prove quite interesting, again, when you look at what's going to happen with Mokken and uh, how uh, this uh, frequency will be distributed or whether the ACCC brings in any particular um, uh, sharing or, or, or so on, because carrier aggregation is obviously something Optus can use to increase its uh, range and its speed as well. Well, definitely we're not at 10cc yet, but it's only a matter of time. So, thanks for joining us today, Simon. Thanks again, Graham.